0: Journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adil Kazilski Mondays at 1pm for the Trip of a Lifetime. Hello, hello and uh, welcome to our program where we sit and we do trip through the Bible. We are in the book of Genesis. We just um, were reading in the past couple of weeks the drama behind the abduction of Yosef, um, him him going down into Egypt, and then him him meeting his brothers for the first time. And um, we know now that he sent his brothers back, and he told his brothers to tell his father that he's very much alive, and he invited the entire family to come settle with him in the land of Goshen, and whilst this was very magnanimous of him, he was the viceroy of Egypt, he was going to look after his family, as all families should do. Um, we know that the, there's always layers and layers to what we learn. And uh, the, the higher meaning behind this is that they were going down into Egypt in fulfillment of the prophecy that, and promise that was given to the, our forefather Abraham in the covenant between the part and the Brit of Ben-Haptarim where God told um, Abraham that your people will go down into the land of Egypt, they will be slaves um, and, uh, and they will be in an exile and they will come out with um, unbelievable wealth and they'll come and get the Torah. And so in order to start facilitating this entire prophecy, which we all know about the exodus to Egypt and um, the exile in Egypt, and then the leaving of the um, and the exodus out of Egypt, which we celebrate, obviously with the festival of Pesach, Passover. Um, this is now about to happen, and so once the news had been broken to Yaakov, the family made arrangements now to descend into the land of Egypt. We are now going to be looking at verse forty. Uh, I mean, chapter forty-six. We're starting on chapter forty-six. Of Genesis, so if you are around and you're able to open up a Bible, come on, be my guest. Open up the Bible, and we are going to transverse a whole lot of the passages now, some verses. I'm going to read always, as I always do, in the original Hebrew, because it is there that we understand and see and um, can work out what is really going on. Vayisah Yisrael v'chol asher lo, and Israel. Israel is another name for Yaakov. So Yaakov traveled with everything that he owned for Yavu And he comes now back to the place called 'er Be'er Sheva. Be'er Sheva is still a a city in Israel. We know that it's in the south of the land. Anybody that's had the opportunity to go visit the land of Israel uh, is able to go visit Be'er Sheva. And what does he do there? He offers sacrifices to the God of his father, Yitzchak. So now, why does he, in a sense, detour to Be'er Sheba? Well, there is an entire concept that once one attains and one lives in the holiness of the land of Israel, one is not allowed to leave without permission. The same thing really happened with Jacob previously. He when when he was told by his mother to run away from his brother Asaph, he went via Haramariah, Haramariah being the mountain upon which the temple stood, the holiest place for Jews, um, and we have the remnant of the Western Wall there. He went then that's where he had his famous dream of angels going up and coming down. And that was a symbol uh, it was symbolic, one of the um, symbolism of God giving him permission to leave the land of Israel, because the angels that were going up were the angels that protected him in the land of Israel, and the angels coming down were the angels that were going to protect him when he moved into exile, and there too he built an altar and he thanked God and prayed to God to look after him similarly now he goes to Beersheba. To ask God permission to leave the Holy Land and to go down um, to Egypt. But the Midrash comes and tells us something more interesting as to why he went to Beersheba. He also went to Beersheba to cut down special cedars, C-E-D-A-R-S cedars that his grandfather Abraham had planted in Beersheba. Because Jacob foresaw all that would happen to his descendants. And he knew when they would come back out of Egypt after the exile, they would have to build the tabernacle. And therefore, he wanted to bring the cedar logs with him so that they would have the wood with which to build the mishkan. Okay, now, a cedar is a special type of wood. It's not found anywhere else. It's a very strong wood. Um, it grows straight up. Um, uh, like really, really tall. It doesn't have knots and it doesn't have um, cracks, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And uh that was going to be used for the Mishkan, for the tabernacle. So he went to go collect those as well, and you'll see much further on as we go through the Bible that when it comes to the building of the Mishkan, which is in the book of Exodus, a couple of uh, chapters in, um, after they leave Egypt, they will be using these cedar trees. Interestingly, it's incredible to see the foresight of Abraham that already planted them to allow them to grow because he knew his grandson, Yaakov, would come around and he would take them down into Egypt. By Yomer Elohim, and God says Israel to Israel, in the Maroth in Halayla, in the night vision, in a vision of the night, by Yomer, Yaakov, Yaakov, Jacob, Jacob, by Yomir This is verse 2. And Jacob says, here I am. Now, look and this is why, again, I emphasize over and over again, if you want to understand um, the truth and you want to understand the nuance behind what is saying, don't look into any Bible that translates into English because you lose you just you, you, you lose interpretation um, and you know, every single letter and every single word, every single vowel, every single sentence in the Hebrew language has a holiness to it and an explanation to it. Now, here is a very, very obvious one. You would be able to pick it up into in in, in in the in the in the English translation, but nevertheless it's very interesting. Look what it says. God says to Israel in a vision of the night, and he says, Jacob, Jacob and Jacob replies, Here I am. Now, what we just read in verse 1 was that by Yisa Yisrael that Israel traveled. I told you that Israel is the other name for Jacob. If you recall, Jacob's name got changed to Yisrael when he fought with that angel when he was crossing the Yabok River. So it seems now that he was called Yisrael because we know that it says by Yisa Yisrael, Israel traveled. Then it says, by Yomir Elohimle Yisrael, God says to Yisrael. But then suddenly he says, Yaakov, Yaakov. So if his name has been changed to Israel, why are we seeing that his name now changes to Yaakov? And now you're going to continue seeing in verse 5 that it talks about Yaakov. So our rabbis come to teach us that in Israel... While he was sojourning in the land of Israel, Jacob's name was Yisrael, okay? Yisrael was a name that indicated his aristocratic nature. It comes from the word Shara, okay? But now he was like losing his standing. He was losing his aristocracy because he was going down back into Egypt And he was going to go into exile, and he was not going to have any authority, any high position in Israel. And so he reverted back to the name Yaakov, Jacob. So here we can see that when there is subjugation, when there is exile, when there is negativity, Jacob is called Jacob. When he's sitting in the land of Israel, when there is, um, he, he is sitting in a position of authority. His name is Israel. So God comes up to him. He's speaking to Israel because he's still in the land of, um, still in the land of Israel. But he calls him Jacob, Jacob, because he knows now that he's going down into exile. I think what we're going to do is we're going to stop right here because we have to go to an ad break. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. We are looking into verse 3 and 4 of chapter 46 of Genesis. Um, just got an SMS from Joseph. Joseph, I haven't heard from you for a long time. Nice to hear from you. Your question was: Was Reuben ever told by his brothers that they sold Joseph? The answer is yes. Reuben knew about it. He was obviously away from the brothers when they did the actual sale, but um, if you follow in on our discussions, you will see that all of them knew about what had happened to Joseph, and they had taken an oath not to tell anybody. And if they were, they were going to be excommunicated. So if you listen to the probably the last two weeks. You will see that when Joseph revealed himself, they all stepped back because they had taken that oath for each, uh, and put it on each other, not to go and spill the beans. That Joseph was that they had in fact sold Joseph, um, and then they they annulled it just before they arrived at Jacob. And how did they tell Jacob? Listen to last week. Um, it is full of how they actually broke the news to to Jacob. Right. Thanks for that question. Anybody else would like to participate? Three four five one nine is our SMS line. 1019 <clears throat> is our Telegram number. Verse three. Remember, now we're at the point where God is revealing Himself to Israel or to Yaakov. By Yomir, God says, hakel I am the omnipotent God of your father." al do not fear. Merda da go down to Egypt. ki goi gadol asimcha sham. Because for, into a great nation, I will make you. Anochi ered imcha mitzraima. I will go down with you into Egypt. Ve anochi a alcha gam alo. And I will surely bring you up again. Ve yosef yashit yado ale necha. And Yosef will place his hand upon your eyes. Now, we just had a discussion, and uh, I was emphasizing to you, read the Hebrew. Let's look into the Hebrew to see what is being said. Now, here's a perfect example of something that you read in English. It makes perfect sense that God says, I will go down with you into Egypt, and I will surely bring you up again. But when you look at the Hebrew, it's 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 a strange way. It's a repetition. Va'anoichi and I, a'alcha, I will go up with you. Gam alo. I will rise. So basically God is repeating himself twice about going up and rising and moving up. We've just like just translated it and I will surely bring you up. Why does God speak in such a strange language? Because what God was saying, this, this double wording, Okay, was that not only will I bring you out of this exile, but I will also bring your children out of future exiles. Now, this is a very, very powerful message. Okay, and the entire exile into Egypt plays a pivotal role in Jewish thinking, both macrocosmically And microcosmically. Let's just discuss it macrocosmically. Macrocosmically, the, the, the exile into Egypt and the remaining there and the trials and the tribulations and then the coming out with the, with the ten plagues and the miraculous deliverance was a prototype for future exiles. Now we know that we have four exiles. We've had the Egyptian exile, the Persian exile, or the Babylonian exile, the Greek exile, and we are currently in the fourth exile, the Edom exile. Now we have to go through four exiles, um according to Kabbalah and each time we go, Jews descend into an exile, meaning they are leaving the land of Israel. They are going into a strange place, they are subjugated, persecuted and 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 life becomes unbelievably tough. One of the reasons is that we go into exile so that we can bring the light of godliness to the, to, to the rest of the world, wherever we find ourselves in. And that's really, when you look at Kabbalah, they went down into Egypt and they were Mavarar Hanitzitzim. They went and rectified a lot of spiritual, spiritual, what can I use, scatterings that, 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 that had, had found its way into Egypt. So by being... Moral people, people who kept Torah and mitzvahs, people who believed in God, people who were a light unto the nation—they cleansed Egypt of their iniquities and, and and immorality. And Egypt was very very immoral. And they brought back, so to speak, those spiritual scatterings back, um, as the Kabbalah teaches, to the throne of God. And so too with the Persian exile when we went down into Babylon. So too with the Greek exile. The very longest exile is the Edom Exile. That is after the destruction of the Second Temple that happened in 70 AD. Um, And we were dispersed out of the land of Israel, and we have landed up being outside the land of Israel on close of 2,000 years. And if you follow the the trials and tribulations and the travels of the Jewish nation, um, really I think that Mark Twain said it very well that we are an enigma because what nation, so small and so scattered, without a homeland, without, without any sense of belonging, wanders from place to place, and so we did. We wandered through uh, Spain. We had the Golden Age of Spain, and then the Inquisition threw us out, and then we wandered into the, to Europe, and we, we suffered. With the 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 well, Niki massacres and with Stalin and Stalin and with with Lenin and with Russia and with ending up with the Holocaust, we, we've been thrown all over the place. We've been in America, we've been in England, we've been in South America, we've been in South Africa. We, we're all over the place, scattered all over the place. Why were we scattered? Because just like we went down into Egypt together the sparks of godliness and to elevate the world and make the world a dwelling place for godliness in every single place, so too we have now now 5,780, almost three years later, you will see that the Jewish people have scattered through the entire world because in every place that they have been, they have been there to elevate the world from a spiritual stature. Um, now you can go and say, well, now we've also got the land of Israel and um, yes, we do. And this is why we say this is the dawning of the age of redemption, the final redemption from the final exile. And once all the Jews have come back to the land of Israel, and um, we will, th- th- and they will come back, it will be um, with the final Mashiach. And we will not only have the Messiah, Mashiach, for ourselves, but we will also have Mashiach for the entire world. The Jewish concept of Messianism is not one of Armageddon, of destruction, of of all those that don't believe in Judaism will die, no. And each and every single one of us has a way of service of God. The Jews, we have to keep 613 mitzvahs, we have to keep the Torah. Um, our non-Jew, uh, our non-Jewish friends, the Gentiles, have to be the have to be B'nai Noach, the sons of Noach, and keep to the seven Noahide laws. And the entire world, Jew and Gentile, will be brought to a state of peace, a state of health, a state of prosperity, a state of of, of goodness on every single level. And so, when we are going to now investigate the going down of Egypt and the trials and tribulations there, everything that happened there happens in our consequent exiles, and the one that we are in right now. And so going back to verse, um, the verse where God says, I will surely bring you up. He was saying, I'm not only going to bring you up, I'm going to remove you and take you out of the exile of Egypt, but I will also be taking you up and returning you back to the land on all other occasions. And so God has done um, after the Babylonian, Uh, exile, we came back, we built the first temple um, after the Greek exile, but now we are still sitting in Galat Edom, waiting for God to make good on this promise. Now, one other thing in verse 4, which is very interesting, is a a seemingly strange set of words, kind of like out of context um, to what God was telling Jacob in his vision the Yosef yashit yado Allah necha that Joseph shall surely place his hand upon your eyes now this is a euphemism because um what this was really saying what they were really saying that Joseph put his hands on his eyes is that Joseph will ensure that you will be buried back in the land of Israel and Joseph does that when Jacob dies they do travel back to the land of Israel and they in turn their father um, in the Maratta um in Hebron, where Jacob and I'm sorry, where Abraham and Yitzchak and all the mothers are interred, um, but there is something else. So that was a euphemism of Joseph will place his hands on his eyes. That was just a nice way of saying, do not worry that Joseph will take care of you and he will bury bury you in the land of Israel. But this verse also teaches us that when a man dies, it is good for his oldest son to close his eyes. Now, we know that when a person passes on, sometimes his eyes remain open. And we are taught in the holy books that at that time, one is given authority to gaze at the radiance of the divine presence. Okay, This advantage um, is only given at the instance of death, when the soul leaves the body. So it is proper, if one is by somebody who passes on, that the dead person's eyes are closed so that they will not gaze on anything else after having seen the divine presence. Interestingly, um, we're also taught that if the eyes are left open, it can cause harm to everyone um, in the dead person's presence. And so it is a custom of ours to gently close the eyes of a person when they have passed on. So those are the two things that I wanted to bring in with verse four. Let's continue with verse five. Um, again, any questions if you have um, or any comments, three, four, five, one, nine is our SMS line, 061 895 1019, our telegram number. Now you'll see straight away as we um, read verse five that Israel has changed to Yaakov vayakam yakov bebeersheva and yakov got up left from beersheva vayisu benei yisrael etyakov vehem veetapam veetnasheihem ba'agalot ashe shalach Paro la'set and the sons of israel transported their father yakov their children and their wives in their wagons that Paro had sent to them. Now, this, by the way, is an instance because of the way that they talk about traveling. He says they got up, Jacob got up by Yisu and um, they lifted up. That's that's really the 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 or, or carried their father, which means that here again, as in the time of Eliezer, you remember Eliezer was the servant of Abraham. Eliezer was commanded by Abraham to go down, to leave the land of Israel, to go down to Haran to find a suitable wife for Yitzchak. And we said a miracle happened and he experienced what we call kvitzat haderech, a constriction, a constraining of space. Okay. And instead of it taking him a couple of days to travel, um, he left in the morning and he arrived in the afternoon. Our rabbis teach similarly. This is what happened now with Yaakov and his sons. Va'yisa does it. They should have said va'yisu, and they traveled. But it says va'yisa, and they carried, which means kind of almost like they were carried, um, like on the wings of eagle. And they had kvitzes haderech. They had a contraction of, of of the road, and it didn't take them very long to land up. In in the in in the land of Egypt, they did bring out the agalot, the wagons, because out of respect that Pharaoh had sent them to them, and out of respect for the king, they came back with the wagons. But honestly, they really didn't need anything because they had this miraculous transportation into the land of Egypt. Right, verse six. et <laughs> They took their livestock and their possessions that they had acquired in the land of Canaan, Va Yavo and they came to Egypt, Yaakov, Ito, Jacob, and his descendants with him. And he, he rocked up there, his sons and his grandsons, he also brought his daughters and granddaughters, all the descendants Came down to um, to 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 Egypt. So a few things over here, just interestingly, is that um, he took what he had acquired in the land of Canaan, and he came down to Egypt. But we know that he took also he had when he came into Canaan from Lavan, he was fabulously rich, right? So why does it say that he took? His livestock and the possessions, all of them. Why is it saying that that which was acquired in the land of Canaan? So we are told that Yaakov, all the wealth that he had acquired in Padam Aran while he was with Lavan, he didn't bring into Egypt. What he did is he bequeathed it and left it to Asaph, his, 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 his um, his brother in exchange to ensure that they would always keep the Ma'arata that they would keep that cave. So, what did? Why did he? Why did he do that? Because Jacob didn't want to derive any gain from money obtained outside the land of Israel, because that money for him didn't contain blessing. So he actually disposed of all that wealth. What wealth did he bring down into into Egypt? Only the wealth that he had acquired in the land of Canaan. Actually quite fascinating, um, that idea. He was very, very scrupulous as to what he was bringing down. He was very, very, very careful that everything was above above uh, what's the name? Above uh, above board. Um, and that's what he did. And we are told now that he brought down is entire family and this is an entire discussion so we're going to go for a short break and when we get back we're going to actually understand who physically came down to the land of Egypt this is 101.9 hi FM hi FM 101.9 megahertz of life okay if you are around with a pen and paper now is your chance to help me do some mathematics. We are going to start on verse uh, verse 8 of chapter 46. And we are going to go through who actually landed, landed up going down into Egypt. These are the names of the children of Israel that came down to Egypt. Yaakov Ubanav. It was Jacob and his sons, Bichar Jacob Ruuvain. So the eldest son was Ruuvain, and then Ruuvain, Uvene Ruuvain Hanoch vePalu veChetron veKarmi. Ruuvain had sons, four sons: Hanoch, Palu, Chetron, and Karmi. Uvene Shimon and the sons of Shimonah: Yemuel veYamin veOhad veYakir veZohar veShaul ben Haknanit. and um, Shimon had. Two, four, six sons: Yimuel, Yamin, Ahad, Yakin, Tzachar, and Shaul. Interesting. Shaul, the son Shaul, the sixth son of Shimon, is called the son of a Canaanite woman. Now, why make the exception with Shaul and Shaul's uh, this particular son? Because we are told that in fact the sixth son of Shimon was in fact not his biological son. It was his adopted son. Whom did he adopt? So let's reverse back a little bit into uh, our, uh, ba- the Bible that we have learned and go back to the whole story with um, the story of Dina, okay? The, his sister Dina, who went out to the city of Shem and was abducted. And you remember, if you recall, he was raped. And what actually happened was that she fell pregnant. And our rabbis hold that she had she was pregnant with a son. And when Shimon, a lady, had destroyed the city of Shem and had released Dina and brought her back, Dina said to her brother Shimon, um, you know, this will be an embarrassment, okay, um, to have a son out of wedlock. Please can you um, marry me? Um, and he was allowed to, 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 to marry in those days. We know that the brothers did marry the sisters, the, the stepsisters, et etc. et cetera, and let the son be yours. And that's why this son in particular, Shaul, is called Ben Haknanet, um, the son of the Canaanite woman. It was a euphemism, not to embarrass Dina, but that it wasn't his son totally. Uh, Vinay levi, Lady, and Lady's sons were Gershon, Kahatu, Marari, he had three sons. These three names are vitally important. You can write them down, Gershon, Kahat, and, and Merari. because later on when we get into the book of Exodus and we are talking about the Levites that worked in the temple, the Levites, um, Gershon, Kahat and, and Merari were the three families of Levites. They each had different jobs in the tabernacle, and we'll discuss that when we get there. Yehuda, Erve Onan And we know that the sons of Yehuda were Er, Onan, Shelah, Peretz, and Zerach. Um, But Er and Onan died in the land of Canaan. You remember the whole story later on with Yehuda and Tamar. Um, He finds Tamar, he gives um, her to the oldest son, um, Onan. He dies without him having children. Shayla then marries her. She dies without having, sorry, with er, He, She dies. She marries air er and dies without her having children. So Shayla um, tries to marry her, marries without having children. Uh, sorry, Onan dies and doesn't have children. And, he, he's, and then she asks for Shayla, and he doesn't want to. And this is how Tamar seduces um, Yehuda. we are got to get to that. Okay, but there are his sons and then we have um a peretron vechul and the sons of Peretz of Chetron and Hamul, Ubane Yesachar Toila Umf U Fa Ve Yov the Shimron and Yesachar has four sons, Ubena Zvulon, Serid Ve Elon, the Yahleel and Zvulon has three sons. And what's important now, and here's where you can take pen and paper, Ele, Benay, Leah. These were the, all the sons of Leah. Remember Leah had Ruben, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda, Yisacha, Zvulun. These are the sons of Leah, Asher Yelda, LeYakov, Padana They were the sons that she gave birth to Yaakov um, in Padana Ram. And there was also Dina Bitoi, um, Dina, uh, his daughter, if you recall, Leah had six sons and then she fell pregnant the seventh time and she begged for him, um, begged God that the son should change into a daughter because if she had one more son, one of the other maidservants, Bila, Zilpah, or Rachel, would have not each had two children each, two sons each. So Dina was born. Okay? And what's important here is, um there were 33 souls, um, from the house of Yaakov that belonged to his wife Leah. So right on 33. God had two, four, six, seven sons. Um, Asher had one, two, three, four, sons and the sister Serach and there was also two grandsons from the sons of Bera, Heber and Malkiel. Okay, and then it says, Zilpa Laban Bito." These are the daughter these are the children of Zilpah, whom Laban gave to Leia, his her daughter Batele did the Yaakov. She gave birth to Yaakov Shesh Nafesh, sixteen souls. So from the two sons of Asher, and God, they landed up being 16 descendants. Um, again, just a zoom in that Sarah um, was uh, one of the granddaughters of Asher. We spoke about her last week, where she was the one that broke the news to Yaakov that Yosef was alive. If you didn't hear about it, go back onto the podcasts. By the way, do you know we have podcasts? Um, and you can... Um, Find it on the Khaifm.com website and you can listen up about Sarah. Right, then Ubine Rachel eshet Yaqov Yosef ibn we know that Rachel had um Yosef and Binyamin by Yibaledli, Yosef Eritz yada Mashayadala, Osnat bin Poti Ferrah Kahein Od, at Manashibit Ephraim. We know that Yosef was in the land of Egypt. He had Osnat, he married Osnat, the son of Potifarah, and they had Manash and Ephraim. Ubine bin And binyamin had and we spoke about it. Last time, Bela, Becher, Ashbel, Gera, Naman, Echi, Rosh, Mupim, Chupim, and Ard. He had 10 sons. um Bnei Rachel, Asher Yulad, Le Yaakov, Kol Nefesh, Arba, Asar, there were 14 of them. Now, one of the things that, again, here is an example, let's read the Hebrew, not the English, and pick up a nuance. You will see that with all the other three, Rachel, Zilpah, and Bela, they were just called Um, those that gave birth to Yaakov but when you see Rachel it says Bnei Rachel eshet Yaakov she was the wife of Yaakov that was indicative again that um, she was in fact the primary wife so there was 14 souls there and finally verses 23 to 25 Uvene Dan, Chushim Dan's sons were Chushim Uvene Naftali, Yechatzal um, Guni, Yezer and Shalem. And um, so Dan had four sons as well, um, and then it says, These are the sons, the descendants of Bila that Lavan gave to Rachel, his daughter Vitale did Eile Yaakov, they gave birth to Yaakov, called Nefesh Shiva'ah. There were seven of them. So if you go back again and you add up. 33 from Leah. Sixteen from Zilpah. Fourteen from Rachel. Seven from Billa. You will see that all adds up to seventy. So we're going to read now verses twenty-six and twenty-seven. All the souls coming to Egypt with Yaakov who emanated from his loins, not counting the wives of Yaakov's sons, was 66. And then, you know, the sons that were born in, in, in Egypt were another two souls. All the souls of Yaakov's family coming down to Egypt was 70. Now, if you go count all of these people, you'll actually count 69. 69, not 70. And I'm going to tell you a little story right after this break where the 70th came from this is 101.9 high fm high fm 101.9 megahertz of life so if you've done some mathematics uh, during the break you'll see there's 69 people are mentioned who was the 70th one well the 70th individual was lady's daughter yochevet interestingly it says she was born between the walls of egypt's capital what does that mean it means that Levi's um, daughter, Yochevet, was conceived in Knan, and her mother was in her ninth month of pregnancy when they came into Egypt, and Yochevet was born as they approached Egypt's capital. Some say she was born on the day they arrived in Egypt, okay? And that's why when we come to the Haggadah, we come to uh, reading the Haggadah on Pesach, um, after the Diana, we talk about The fact that, and we quote Deuteronomy, with 70 souls your fathers came down to Egypt and now God has made you as many as the stars of the heaven. Just to also add up, even though they're talking about 70 souls and they're counting the men, so she, by the way, made the 70th, other opinions go and say it wasn't your Hebet because she was a girl, but in fact the 70th person was none other than God himself because we said God comes down into Egypt With us and he will come out Of Egypt with us Just a very powerful lesson there by the way That this is symbolic On a microcosmic level and I didn't actually touch it Let me quickly come back to that That the exiles of God Going with us into Egypt and coming out out with Egypt means that God travels with the Jewish people wherever they should go. But the Egyptian exile is also symbolic on a microcosmic level to our own personal exiles, our places of darkness, our places of difficulty, our places of constrictment. And we must know that God comes with us and goes with us, that God can be found in our places of suffering as much as he can be found in our places of happiness and joy. So, um Some opinions say that it was God made up the 70th. Just to tell you that Jacob actually had 14 daughters um, as well. One daughter was born with each of his sons, except for Benjamin. Okay. Um, Benjamin had two twin sisters. There was also Dina. Some say that they died in childhood and they didn't marry any of Yaakov's sons. Some said that they did. Um, And that was that. That At the end of the day, the counting was 70, a very, very significant number. And with that mathematic, mathematical calculation, I think we're going to leave it at that. Um, we're going to see how they arrive in the land of Egypt and how Yosef comes out to greet them. I've had a fabulous time sharing this information with you, learning Torah with you. I hope you have too. And uh, I can only wish you a shavuot of a great week ahead, and I'll be back next week. Have a wonderful week ahead.